prayers of Paul the evangelist, Paul the apostle, Paul the writer of so much of the New Testament. And at the beginning or somewhere towards the middle of, oh, I don't know, maybe uh, half of the books that he writes in the New Testament, Paul goes ahead and prays a prayer or reminds them of the prayers that he is praying for those churches that he has founded or associates of his have founded. And he is praying things specifically for each specific church and or person. And in week one, we talked about the household of Philemon. And last week, we talked about the church in Philippi. And today, we're going to talk about the church that was in ancient Thessalonica. There's a running thread that seems to be going through this series, and it's this. He wants the church to go from where they're at to the next place. He wants them to mature. He wants them to gain uh, Christian competency, if you will. He, he wants them to continue to grow and do the things that really uh, encapsulate that which makes someone a worker and a person in relationship, as we just sang about, to God. There's a series of competencies that uh, is floated around in psychological circles. It's, it's called the series of, of competence. Uh, and it got me thinking as I was looking at this passage this week that there's really some truth to that. And there's, there's four different levels, and I printed them out from my handy Wikipedia page uh, this week. If you don't know, uh, Wikipedia is where you find all the best information, uh, well-researched and all that. But I went to Wikipedia because it's easier than trying to get into like a journal of psychology. So here are the four levels of, of competence. There's the first level, which is unconscious incompetence. That's the individual that does not understand or know how to do something and someone who doesn't necessarily recognize the deficit. All right? So they're a person who has no idea what they're doing and they don't know that they have no idea what they're doing. All right? Second level of competence is what's called conscious incompetence. And it says, though the individual does not understand or know how to do something, he or she does recognize that they don't know how to do it. Then step three is conscience, conscious competence. The individual understands or knows how to do something, but to demonstrate the skill or knowledge requires concentration. So you figure it out, but it's really tough to get it done, right? And then you want to get to the fourth level of competence. At least I assume you want to get to level four. If you don't, you should probably stop listening. Uh, the individual has, become, has had so much practice with that skill that it's become second nature and it can be performed easily. Isn't that cool? That's the stages of competence. Now, Paul didn't write that. That's not scripture. And somebody will come up to me and go, that's a bunch of hooey. But anyhow, uh, there is this concept that a lot of us don't know what we don't know. A lot of us know that we don't know something and that we need to know it. Some of us do know how to do something and how to live this Christian life, but it's really sort of hard work for us. But all of us want to get to that fourth level of competence when it comes to being a Christian. We want to do things that God's prepared for us in advance to do, Ephesians 2.10. We want to do the things that God's given us to do while we're on this earth, but we don't want it to be a struggle. We want to, we want to be able to perform the good deeds that God has for us with full competence. And I think that's what Paul's trying to get to with so many of these people and so many of these churches with these prayers. He's praying that God would get them to the next level of knowing how to live for him. Look down at chapter 1. 
of 2 Thessalonians with me. And we're going to begin to read in verse 3. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves, that's Paul and his ministry associates, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and all of the afflictions that you are enduring. Now just stop right there for a moment. What's Paul saying? You guys are doing a great job. In fact, you, you folks in Thessalonica, you are such good churches or band of churches over there. We brag to the other churches about what a good church you are, Okay. Now, I know that you would all love that this morning. You'd love some big wig in Christianity to come in and start bragging about how good somebody else's church is to you. But that's what Paul's doing for the Thessalonians. He's saying, you guys are a great church. So let's skip down to verse 11 and see what the prayer is. So he says to them after saying, you guys are a great church, we boast about you. He says, to this end, we always pray for you. Asking that our God will make you worthy of his call. And will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what can we sort of surmise from this? Well, we can surmise that the Thessalonians are a pretty zealous band of Christians. They're doing a pretty good job. I don't want you to do this right now. I'd like you to listen to me, but go ahead this week and go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He brags about them even more in 1 Thessalonians. He's really proud of this group of Christians. He thinks they're doing a pretty good job. And if you were to go back to Acts chapter 17 when the church is being founded, it's really interesting. Uh, Paul founds the church and the crowds, the unruly mob gets so angry at these Christians for what they're preaching. Paul has to sneak out of town and the leaders of the church in Thessalonica have to sort of sort of uh, stand trial in Paul's place. And so this church in Thessalonica, not only are they doing a really good job, but they were persecuted by the people in their city almost from day one. It wasn't like they were Christians in a vacuum. They were Christians in a pretty tough environment. And this is the church that is doing so well, according to Paul. So Paul's really proud of them. He thinks they're doing a really good job, but he still has a prayer for them. And it makes the words that Paul uses a little bit puzzling. Look down at verse 11 today. Again, I I always pray that God would make you worthy of his call and fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. So once again, as is the case with Philemon a couple of weeks ago, Paul seems to be telling wonderful, hardworking Christians that they have not arrived. They haven't made it. And he uses words that today we would find so offensive. I would, I, I would, I would be offended. Now, don't do this. I would be offended if I walked out of here today and, and one of the elders stopped me and says, Matthew, I need to talk to you for a minute. I pray every day that God would make you worthy of this call. What? I mean, that, that's tough. To, that, in essence, you're doing a job that you're not quite competent in, but I pray eventually that God will make you competent. That seems to be what he's saying here. Now, he's saying this lovingly, and he's saying this carefully. And if the elder said that to me and used the words nicely, I'd be like, oh, he thinks I have room to grow. That's nice. But it, this can be misconstrued really easily. 
And what's sort of astounding here is he's saying that I want God to make you worthy of the call, even though they seem to be fulfilling the two main calls of the New Testament church. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we find out that the church is growing exponentially, that people are putting their faith in Jesus and turning their lives around. You know, being born again is what we'd call that. We'd say that they're they're, they're changing their ways by the power of God. But number two, what we find out here in verse three and four is they're really growing in their love for one another. So they're they're not just filling the seats in the church, but the church is healthy. People can come to the church and feel loved and accepted and cared for and share their gifts and share their experiences. It's a healthy church. But he says, I'm praying that God would make you worthy of his call, and I pray that God would fulfill every good resolve, and I pray that God would make every work of faith go. So why would it seem that Paul is is asking God to do something that they sort of already are living out? Well, there's only one reasonable explanation, and the one reasonable explanation is the work is not done, their call's not fulfilled, they've not yet arrived, and God had more for them. You mean even very successful churches God has more for? Yes, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, I want you to read one more verse before we begin to break this down. Go back to verse 12 with me for just a second. What's the so that? What's the subjunctive clause for you English majors? You're welcome. What is the so that? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, And catch this weird statement, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's talking mutual benefit here. See, we come to Jesus Christ and we begin to preach and teach and and give towards the church and Jesus because he's done so much for us and, and we experience his love for us. But then by doing that and partnering with God, we somehow get to take part in his glory. Wow. That's a concept that I just don't think about a lot. The the, the concept that that the, the, the most glorious way to live, the most glorious thing that I could do on earth is to partner with God in redeeming the world. That's, that's, that's the height of awesome. That, that's the best of the best. That by experiencing all the things that Paul is praying for for this church, if I were to experience those things, not only would I be glorifying my Lord, but his glory, his goodness, the good things of life are going to rub off on me. There's a mutual thing here going on. There's a reciprocity. And I want to tell you, that's the gospel in part. Communion today is the gospel in part, and the other side of the gospel is you get to participate in the kingdom of God. You get to bring about God's effective will on earth. God has intentions for this world. He wants us to do work to redeem it. And when we partner with him to do that, we bring his will into effect. And that's glorious. And that's what Paul wants for them. So what does he tell them that he prays for them? Let's go back to verse 11, because this is the heart of the message this morning. What does he mean, make you worthy of the call? There's an old song, and I don't even know all the words, but the title is just, he's still working on me. The idea that you have not yet arrived, that it's God who makes you worthy to partner with him in redeeming the world. You don't do that yourself. 
Paul is asking not that they would try harder to become more competent. He is asking that God would make them more competent in their work for him. That God would do something in them, not that they would continue to work on it, but that God would be working on them. I like to put it this way. According to verse 11 of chapter, two, or of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, God wants to clean up your act, but he's not handing you the scrub brush. He, he wants to clean you up, but he doesn't want to hand you the tools to do the cleaning. Because if he hands you the tools to do the cleaning, you're going to do what humans do. And humans always want to justify their actions and always want to think things are a little better than what they are. And in essence, we'll grab the scrub brush and look at God and go, I'm not that dirty. You know, I, I don't got to be made worthy of the call. I prayed a prayer one day. I'm a Christian now. And there is not a lot to clean up here. I'm smelling good. Thanks for the scrub brush. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I, I'm praying that God, look at the wording, that God would make you worthy of his call. Not that you would go, I'm a Christian now. And I'm going to exert all this effort to become worthy of redeeming the world with God. Well, you can try and try and try and try to do that, but you know what that makes you? An unconscious incompetent. You will never know what you don't know because you're going to look at God and go, I'm not that dirty. I don't have to have you make me clean, God. I don't have to have you clean me up and make me suitable for your purpose. I'm going to do that myself. It's like when my wife comes to me in the kitchen and she has a pot. And I know what's coming when she has the pot and looks at me. She says, Matt, did you wash this? <laughs> I say, yeah, I washed it. Then she'll turn the pot. Well, what's this? If you wash this, right? Because if we're left to our own devices, sometimes we're in a hurry. You got to move quick. There's babies pooping everywhere. You got to do something. And you gotta, you got to clean up that pot as quick as you can. you got to move on to the next thing, right? Life is busy. Life is tough. We don't have a lot of time to, to clean ourselves up, but we, we don't always get the opportunity to do a good job. And no, there's no excuse for the state of the pot. Sorry, Gina. But the, the point is, is that, yeah, I'll clean up, God. I'll do a good job. Don't worry about it. I'm a Christian now, and I'll, I'll, I'll become worthy of the call. You stay there. I'll stay here, and we'll have this little relationship where you don't tell me anything, God. Don't let any of your people tell me anything. Just give me the scrub brush, and eventually I'm going to become the person that you've called me to be. It doesn't work that way. God has to make you worthy of his call. If you could save yourself, if you could redeem yourself, if you could make yourself sanctified, if you could do that, look it up. If you could do that, Christ would have never had to come. He would have never had to die for your sins. He would have never had to send the Holy Spirit to fill you up and to begin to work in your life. He wouldn't have done any of that. Now, if some of you are going, Pastor Matt, I have absolutely no idea of this concept that you're talking about today. I want you to take your pen, take the little pencil in the seat back in front of you, and I want you to write John chapter 14 through 17. Jesus is going to describe this symbiotic relationship. I'm so sorry I said symbiotic. He's going to try to describe this nice working relationship between 
people tell me I use big words, I apologize. He's going to try to take this relationship and he's going to describe how it works with you, him, and the Holy Spirit to make you worthy of his call. Did you get it? John chapter 14 through 17. Thank you. So read that this week if you want to see how that all works together. This is a theme of scripture, not just some uh, uh, prayer that Paul prays. It's a theme. God's job is to clean you up, and it's your job to let him. No one wants to be prayed for by a man with onion breath and B.O. That's why we want God to clean us up. Hi, I'm Hal, and I'm here to pray for you, right? I'm just living a life worthy of the call. I'm here to help God redeem the world. That's not who we want to be. We want to be sparkling clean. We want to be fresh. We want God to make us worthy of this redeeming process of the world. And when I say redeem the world, once again, I go back to that concept of the kingdom of God. God wants to take his intentions for the earth, and he wants to work through people who have submitted their lives to him to bring his effective will to earth. And it's why that we pray that, that Lord's Prayer that you prayed growing up, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray, isn't it? In essence, Paul is saying, folks, you're doing a good job in working in this kingdom. You're doing a good job of bringing the effective will to God on earth. I'm really proud of you, but God's still got work to do in cleaning you up. Let's get rid of the halitosis and the smells here. Because no one wants to be worked on. No one wants to to have you work in their lives if you're not a clean vessel. I don't want anybody praying for me with onion breath. I I don't want stinky people trying to tell me how what what God could be doing in my life right now. I was talking to my girls just last night as I was putting them to bed, and I was describing the story of when Jacob and God are wrestling. Now, I don't want to get into all the theology of that tonight, but today, but in essence, God and Jacob are in this big struggle, and God could have beat Jacob at any, one, any moment in that battle, right? But he's trying to break Jacob of his stubbornness so that he will stop doing things his way and start doing them God's way. So I began to tell that story and, and, and talk about how each one of us struggles with God, until the point that we stop trying to clean up ourselves and start letting him do the work. And I said to the girls, now we're going to church tomorrow. You know that, right? And they says, yeah, Natalie, yeah, I love church. I'm like, great. I hope you still say that when you're 16, right? But I'm so glad you love church. And I said, do you know why we go to church? And what's the pat biblical answer? To learn more about God, Right? Isn't that why you told your kids this morning, we're going to church to learn more about God? I said, I, I didn't say that. I said, we go to church because God has things he wants us to do on this earth. And church is a place where we can go and let God work on us. Do you see the difference? Because you can come to church and learn a bunch of stuff. But unless you give God the opportunity to work on you, you're not going to have the power in your life to make that stuff happen. You're not. You're not. This is not just an educational enterprise that we're running here. We want people to learn something, but we need to have external stimuli, something coming from the outside that gives us the power to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. And that power is the Holy Spirit. That's God working in us. And just a little advertisement. 
That is why at the end of our service today, and if you're new, this would be good for me to explain to you, at the end of our service today, we always open up these altars and allow people to come and pray and be prayed for. Because preaching should not just be an educational exercise, but after we've heard the word, we should give people the opportunity to say, all right, God, what do you want to do in me? God, will you give me the strength to do it? It's a simple thing. So when I say the altars are open today, don't freak out and go, what are they doing? Just, if you want to pray in your seat, great. If you want to pray at the altar, great. If you want to gawk and go, what's going on here? That's fine too. But in essence, we don't want to leave this place unless we give God the opportunity to do something in us, to get out his scrub brush and begin to clean us up and make us worthy of the call. Let's look back down at verse 11 and see what else we can learn. He says, to this end, we always pray for you, asking that God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. Did you catch it? And fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. There's that theme again. God doing it in us rather than us going, I've got it, God. The truth is, Every single one of us want to do good. And the truth is, since, well, I shouldn't say every single one of us, that's an absolute, most of us, 98.6%, because men like to put, I found out the other night, men like to put percentages on things, they have no idea what they're talking about, right? 98.6 of us desire to do the good. Most of us desire to do the good. And because we desire to do the good, now catch this, because we desire to do the good, we assume that we're a good person. Did you catch that? Most of us desire to do the good, so we think that we're good. What makes us good? If we do the good. If we do the good. Why do you think you're a good person? I'll tell you why you think you're a good person. You're driving down the freeway, and you see someone stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire. And as you fly by that person, even though you had a chance to stop, you think, oh, I wish I could stop if I wasn't so busy. And you keep driving. Why? Well, because you're a good person. You had a good thought about maybe helping them. Do you catch the difference between thinking you're a good person and being a good person? Now, I'm not, now if it's like some biker dude, you know, with the flat tire and he's packing, don't stop. <laughs> All right? But do you catch the difference here? The problem with so many of us is we're operating in what, what people in the early church would have called heresy. And the heresy is twofold. Number one, we think that we can clean ourselves up. And number two, we think we're good people merely because we have good intentions. And that's simply not true. Good intentions does not a good person make. Doing the good a good person makes. You have to actually do things that are good in order to be considered good. So what does Paul say to that? I pray that God would fulfill by his power every good resolve. Now, we don't say good resolve in English, right? We don't say that. I'm not going to look at Mark and say, Mark, I have a good resolve to say hello to you. You know, we're not going to say that. That's a little bit weird. But in essence, the NRSV here, my translation I'm reading from, it's trying to capture something. And I went back to the original language, which is Greek. That's what they wrote in because it was the language of trade, the lingua franca of the day because of Alexander the Great. So uh, people all over the world spoke Greek, and so they wrote the New Testament in Greek so most people could read it. And I went back to the original Greek, and it, it literally says that God will fulfill by his power every good thought you have about doing good. So, so 
that he, Paul is praying for these Thessalonians, I'm praying that when you think about doing good, God will give you the power to just do the good. Not just think about it and go, well, I would have stopped had I not been so busy. Well, I would have helped had I not da 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 See, God's the one who gives us that power. That's the reason why we Christians talk about being born again and having the Holy Spirit of God come to dwell with us. Our sin separated us from God. But when Jesus died on the cross and we put our faith in him, he gave us the opportunity to have a working relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is there for us to access our spirit, touches God's spirit, and God can begin to speak and work and and move in our lives. In practical ways. In practical ways. We all want to do the good to consider ourselves a good person, but the Holy Spirit, God, gives us the power to actually do it. Going back to those passages that I gave you, John chapter 14 through 17, Jesus says in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. Don't try. Don't try. I created you, remember? Don't try to be a good person without me. That's not the point. The point is to partner with me in doing my work in the world. God has power for you to take you from thinking you're a good person to actually being one. And I mentioned that word sanctified the other day. That's what the older Christians would have called sanctified or becoming holy, is that God's gonna take the good intentions and make them actually good actions. Because in Christ, your good intentions can become those actions. He says one more thing here in verse 11, which I find instructive. He says, not only your good intention, but your works of faith. I want God to give you power not only to do the good that you think about, do the good when you think about the good, but I also want God to give you his power to do works of faith. Now, I really struggled with this because I wanted to put it in a way that maybe we could all sort of grab hold of it. And so I sort of came to this definition for works of faith as I was studying this week. You can take it or leave it. Works of faith are deeds done that don't come natural to you, but that God has called you to. And I don't know if that's a complete sentence or not, but that was my definition. Deeds done that don't come natural to you, but that God has called you to. That's a work of faith. Every time you get up on a Sunday morning and come to church, that's a work of faith. Because what would be natural would be to sit at home, for all you men in the room, to watch the pregame, to have a massive cup of coffee, and to relax, because you worked all week. Now, I don't know what comes natural to women on a Sunday morning. Coffee is probably involved. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know what channel you'd watch or what you'd do, maybe a little gardening, right? I don't know. But the point is, every time that you say, I'm going to go to church to let God work on me, it's a work of faith. Every time you pray and read your Bible, in a world that said, that's a waste of time, just put in a self-help tape on your way to, way to work, you'll be, you'll be great. Every time you pray and read your Bible and ask God to change you and do things in your life, every time you read your Bible and, and ask God to speak to you through his word, every time you do that, you're doing a work of faith. You're, you are saying that this doesn't come naturally to me, but it's part of God's call on my life. Every time you take time to spend with your neighbors, even though you're busy, because you want to move them on to God's agenda for their life, see last week's message, every time you do that, 
That's not natural. You want to go inside. You want to get to your backyard. You want to relax with your family. But every time you make that extra effort to add value to somebody else's life, you're doing a work of faith. Every time you tithe to your church or give offerings to others, you're doing a work of faith. Every time you share your testimony with someone and talk about what God's done in your life and that you believe that if they would give their lives to God, he, he, would, he would open up their lives and heal their brokenness and begin to, begin to use them in the ways that he created them for. Every time you share that testimony, you're doing a work of faith. Every time you give of your precious time to teach a class or to lead a Bible study, you're doing a work of faith. You're doing things that don't come naturally but are part of God's call on your life. Let's simplify it. Let's go even one step to to simpler here. Your relationship to God and your relationship to the church are voluntary. None of you are being coerced into this. If you are, please leave. If we have coerced you, Please, we don't want you here. Because that means that we've abused you mentally. We don't want to abuse anybody mentally. We've, this is voluntary. With that said, every time you show up to do the things of God when it's not convenient, it's a work of faith. Every time you help when it's not convenient, it's a work of faith. Every time you give when it's not convenient, It's a work of faith. And every time you honor God, even when no one is looking, you're doing a work of faith. Only God has the power to fulfill that in all of us. And we just don't want to be people who are conscious conscious of what we don't know. We want to know how to do these things, but we want to be so in tune with God that we have unconscious competence in these things. We want to just do the good and do works of faith because we are so connected to God and we are so into his call on our lives and we have so allowed him to touch our hearts even when we were hard and we didn't want him to touch our hearts. We allowed him to do that so that he could fulfill his call in our life. We want to get to the point, not that Christianity and life will be easy. Listen, listen. these Thessalonians, they were a persecuted bunch. They had a lot of afflictions. Go back to verse 3, 4, and 5. They had a lot of bad stuff going on. He didn't say that life would be easy. He was saying that you get to take part in God's plan for the world and share in his glory. That's the only way to live. I want that. You want that. What's your job? To get out the brush and start scrubbing? No. It's to humbly ask God to make you worthy of the call and to fulfill, to fulfill every good intention and every work of faith in you. God, by your Holy Spirit, do that in me. Do that in me. Your job is to allow God to speak to you through the word, the spoken word and preaching, through prayer, through the written word, through going to classes, through confessing sin, through praying in the altar, through through praying at home, through just doing the things that God's called you to do, trying to honor him when it's not convenient. You start doing those things and all of a sudden you become competent in the things of God because his power is working through you.
but you have to ask him. You have to pray. And you have to acknowledge that it's he who does the work. Will you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we confess to you today that we desire to be worthy of the call. We don't want to be people just floating through life, unconcerned with how we're coming across, what we're doing. Instead, Lord, we want to be people who participate with you in redeeming the world. We want to participate in that thing that the Bible calls glory, the glorious life. But Lord, we need to let you do the work. We need to stop trying to do it on our own and assuming that we're a good person because we think good thoughts. We need to ask your Holy Spirit to come into our lives and touch us and empower us and then do the work. I'm going to ask that the elders of the church would step into the aisle this morning. In fact, stay right up here by the stage. And if you're in a place today, and this is the specific call, it's very simple. It's not to say I'm incompetent. I'm not calling anybody to the altar today to say I don't have it. But today, if you want to pray and have an elder pray for you, and, and you want to say, this is the thing. I want the Holy Spirit to give me the power for those good intentions that I have to become reality. We'd love to pray for you today. And also in a moment, if you have physical needs, and we do this according to James chapter 5 of the New Testament, that if you are sick in body and need prayer, that the elders of the church would anoint you with oil. It's not, it's not magic oil. This is just a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. It's just oil. But we just say as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, according to James the fifth chapter, this is anointing oil to remind us that the Holy Spirit's doing his work. If you need healing today, or you want to pray for somebody to be healed, this altar is open. So as a group, we're just going to pray for a few minutes. I invite you to stay in a spirit of reverence. And if you want to pray that the Holy Spirit will empower you to make those good intentions reality, I'd like you to come right now. And if you want to pray today that... You want to pray for someone or pray for yourself for healing or you're sick in body, I want you to come right now. And if you don't feel called to come today, I would invite you just to stay in a spirit of prayer for a few minutes. Pray that God would touch your heart with what's been spoken today. Or if you look up and want to pray for somebody who comes up here, uh, we'd love to have you pray for one of your brothers and sisters in Christ.
going to continue to leave the altars open this morning for prayer. We want, don't want anybody to go home today that wanted to be prayed for without having the chance to connect with God here. But I'm going to pray and dismiss the rest of you and if you would uh, quietly make your way to the lobby before you start your conversations, that'd be wonderful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting us in this place today. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to participate with you in the awesome things that you have us to do in this life. I pray, Lord, that we would let you be the power of our lives to do the things that you've called us to do. I pray as we go from this place today that you would make good all of our good intentions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
and you're dismissed if you'd leave quietly.